0: Let's remain standing because we're going to hear the Word of God. Let me just say, I'm so glad to be back uh, worshiping with you today. <clears throat> and uh, even as I say that, I just want to say a word of deep thanks. Um, last week, I had no voice whatsoever. I had this upper respiratory infection. And so, 6 a.m., I dropped a text to Annie, no voice, you're on. And <clears throat> And I tell you, I listened to her message. It was so powerful and I'm so thankful to be a part of our pastoral team here and I hope you are as well. So grateful for that message. Well, today we come to uh, several different passages of scripture all dealing with the same theme. So again, let's remain standing because we're gonna be hearing our Father's word. We'll begin with Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins, Tax collector. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If people think they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test his own actions. Then people can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. And then finally, Second Corinthians chapter two verses five through eleven. Excuse me just a moment. Could I have some water there? We'll see if see if I read better with water. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The discipline applied to the man who sinned by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him Another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I can already see this is gonna be an adventure this morning for you, it'll be an adventure in listening. Uh, So today you've already seen it. We've had about a dozen of our church people baptized. It's been great. And when they've been baptized, as Pastor Perry said, when they are, how did he put it, dunked, when they go under the water, what they are declaring is that they are, they have died with Christ. And by that, that means they've acknowledged that that old self-directed way of life, that is gone. And that the sins that were a part of it are washed away, hallelujah. But then they come up out of the water and they declare that now they have a new life, risen to live a new life with Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, as I say almost weekly, that new life in Christ It doesn't become fully complete in a moment, does it? It is a matter of growth and we call that growth in becoming what God would have us to be, we call it discipleship. I guess if I just put it simply, every one of us, every person here, every human being you meet, we are made in the image of God. And that's a beautiful thing, it means that God has made us so that there should be something about us that reflects something about Him. But ever since sin entered the world, you read about it in Genesis chapter three, we've all been messed up to some extent. Not one of us is fully what God would have us to be right now. Can I have a witness to that? The apostle Paul put it in so succinctly. He said, we fall short of the glory of God. So there are things about all of us that are not yet everything that God would have them to be, but God loves us. Thank you, Lord even while we're sinners. And he's found a way in Jesus to forgive our sins, but not only that, to remake us. And one of the central messages of the entire New Testament it is to teach us how we are to become more and more of what God created us to be. And the free phrase that, that, is, that is used so often, and especially in Colossians one twenty-eight, what we are to become is complete in Christ. Our lives becoming more like that of Jesus himself. We see that as central to the life of Lake Avenue Church, and we put it right in our statement, and so here, I'll show it to you. Our mission is this. We're gonna follow Jesus. He's the Lord. Following Jesus, we participate in what he is doing, his reconciling work, which means he's bringing our lives back together to what they should be. His reconciling work by making disciples And that word means to follow someone so much that we become like that person, making disciples of all peoples and generations. So that our vision is put this way, presenting each one complete in Christ. That is to say, if you really become a part of Lake Avenue Church, we're making a commitment to you to seek to be the kind of church family in which you'll grow in your walk with Jesus until your life becomes complete in Christ. And, And that's what we want to be true also of your children and of your children's children. And we ask you then to make a commitment back to us, to use whatever gifts God gives you to be involved in our lives until, as the Bible puts it, each one of us becomes complete in Christ. So, my message to you today in these texts that we've just read is that one of the most important means that God has given to a local church like ours so that you and I can grow to become conformed to the image of Jesus is what we call church discipline. Looking out to see if I see any smiles there. Some people don't like that phrase, church discipline, because they've experienced it in in a church, and it just seems to be that so many people like it too much but mostly to be applied to other people so that they get in and just keep telling you what is wrong. And uh, other churches just feel it so hard that they, they, they ignore it, and, and so the church isn't really geared toward this. But what I want to show you today is this. When a church actually embraces this as a gift from God to finish His work in your life and in this world, then you'll see it, how beautiful it is. And so today, uh, in the message that I'm calling Love, discipline and discipleship. We're going to be looking at how start how this happened in one church a long time ago. So we'll start with that love, discipline, and discipleship in the first church of Corinth as it's described in 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. That passage, the last one I read to you, is really the culmination of, the completion of a process of church discipline that had happened back in Corinth. So you have at the end of this, it was a long thing that led up to it. At the end of it, verses six and seven of chapter two, this is what we read, those sanctions, uh, the the matters of discipline that were inflicted on him because there was a man in the church who had brought grief to everybody by his life. He said that, that discipline that's been brought is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by sorrow. I just want to tell you, I think that is a beautiful statement. That last statement is what I pray will always happen in a life whenever we have this kind of discipline that happens, Uh, but, but let me tell you, even for them, with the Apostle Paul there working with them. It was quite a hard journey to get to that goal, to get to that completion. So let me tell you the story just a little bit. There were a number of letters. We have two of them that were written to that church in Corinth. There were at least two others. And when you put these together, it's sort of a case study like this. I'll tell you, not every scholar agrees with me, but this is the way I read it. Paul founded that church in Corinth during his missionary travels. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 18. I've been to that city a number of times. I'll show you the ruins of where they think that church met. And I'm gonna tell you, if the Lord tarries, our building's gonna look like that too someday. It Shows you that a church has to be made up of the people, doesn't it, just, not just the building. But Paul not only founded that church, but he faithfully pastored those new Christians in Corinth for 18 months. So he knew them well. And after he'd finished his pastoral work, he returned back to his missionary ministry. But he got wind of these churchgoers back there in Corinth going out, they go to church, and then they would go into these houses of prostitution and sexual immorality together. And he heard that and he said, that's not the way you're supposed to live for Jesus. He said you shouldn't be just encouraging one another to live like that and he wrote them a letter one that we don't have now but he refers to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 that really says you've got to live different lives when you follow Jesus and they should be lives of sexual purity. Now in spite of that letter Paul continued to hear about all these ongoing problems in that same church. So if you have people tell you, we've got to be a church just like the first century church, you say, no, we've got to be better than that. (laughs) It was a mess. And so he wrote them a a letter that just addressed all those different problems that he had been told about. And one of them that he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter five was of an incestuous sexual relationship that was so serious that it was not just offensive to the Apostle Paul, it was offensive to the people in Corinth. Now, do you remember my first message? I said the city of Corinth was a whole lot like Las Vegas. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Do you remember that? I mean, it was no, people came in there because of all of these houses of entertainment and, and issues that happened. Sexual uh, immorality was just rampant in the city. All of this is to say that if the unbelievers who lived in the city of Corinth were scandalized by what was happening in the church, then this was pretty serious stuff. But it didn't seem that the church people seemed to mind all that much. They didn't step into his life and call him to repentance. So here's my guess. I've been in church a long time. See if you think this might be true. My guess is that this man was a member of a prominent and probably wealthy family in the church. You think so? Paul would even write, you're proud of having him in your church family, and they did nothing about it at all. So listen to his words, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. There is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. You should rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this. But they didn't do it. And and, in fact, what I read, the way I read this thing is that probably after Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and said, you've got to discipline this man, this man got upset with Paul and got his family and friends to try to undermine Paul so that his, his authority was being undermined. So Paul made a personal visit to that church, but he's, he, he calls it there a painful visit. It must have been a really hard one. And even after that, he wrote them back a letter and he called it a severe letter. And at last, they had confronted the man and called him back to Jesus. And apparently the man really had responded in repentance and faith. And so he writes this letter, 2 Corinthians, and he gets to chapter two, and he turns to them and says, the discipline that you've administered now, it's enough, it's sufficient. Once he's come back to Jesus, these three beautiful phrases that you see in verses seven and eight. When it's done, forgive him, comfort him and reaffirm your love for Him. So do you see what's happened there? It seems like it happened over a pretty long period of time, but the ending was one that was beautiful. Well, with that example in mind, and then with the words of Jesus that I read to you earlier in your mind, and another example of Galatians 6 in your mind, I've decided with a few moments that I have today in the service just to try to boil down sort of as your senior pastor the, the things about a life where we're involved in one another's lives to correct one another and sometimes to discipline one another that I want to pass on to you that I will pray will be more and more a part of our church. So number one, the goal of any kind of church discipline has to be clear what we're after, and that is loving restoration to God's family, loving restoration so that that person can have renewed growth to become complete in Christ. One thing that I think should permeate the culture of any church where Jesus is Lord, who loves us though we have sinned, that I pray will be true of our church is is that vision statement that I read to you before, namely that we long for everybody who comes, and if you bring your children or your parents here, we long for each person who comes here to become complete in Christ, And for that to happen, I am convinced that all of our church relationships must be what I call discipling relationships. Now, that's probably not a phrase you use very often, so this is what I mean by it. We should always be seeking to help one another to grow in our walks with Jesus. You see, because you and I can be involved in one another's lives in so many ways. It's not just when a person's walking away from Jesus. Sometimes we can be involved in a person's life by encouraging them, saying, I saw some things that are good, I see you're growing. Sometimes it's in praying for another person. Sometimes it's, it's teaching God's word so that all of us can become more and more obedient to, uh, to Christ and to the ways of the Lord. In short, genuine disciples of Jesus in our church involvement, we should be involved in one another's lives in ways in which we're helping one another to grow spiritually. And I think it's because of that. When Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 18, 15, he spoke of believers going personally to other fellow believers to call them away from sin. And I think he was referring to something that just should be naturally happening in the life of any church. And it can happen in so many ways in a church family, even when the sin isn't as serious as this one was that I'm talking to you about in Corinth. What I'm saying to you is that our Christian friendships and our, our small groups and our adult Sunday school classes and our high school and junior high groups should constantly be settings in which we are involved in one another's lives in the way that the book of Proverbs calls it, that we are iron sharpening iron. In churches that have embraced that a church is here so that we can help one another to grow, to become like Jesus, rather than just a place where you put on a Sunday morning program or whatever you do, when you've actually embraced this. I find that this kind of correction and church discipline goes on all the time in informal, everyday lives. And it's happened in my own life. I'll just tell you one. One. Um, Many of you remember my good friend Jamie Rankin, the professor at Princeton University who comes here and plays sometimes. We've been a friend for 40 years. One time he came to visit me, and I was driving the car, and he looked at me and he said, Greg, I love you, so I've got to tell you something. You seem to be even more irritated when you drive the car than you usually are. (laughs) And so he began talking to me, began investigate what's happening, why am I not as much at peace, and, and began to see a number of things in my life that I felt like I needed to recommit to the Lord. See, that isn't quite as big as what happened there in Corinth, but it's the same kind of thing. And when we're involved in one another's lives in that way, when it does get to be a big thing, it's not so strange. And we don't have to be so extreme and think do I have to be, you know, make this a big, big public matter because we're always involved knowing that every one of us at some time in our lives are going to need some correction and redirection and renewal to the fellowship of the body. So I'll tell you when a person in church walks away from the Lord or just gives evidence of some direction in their lives is is ungodly, it just, just should be a part of your friendships and your Christian fellowships, that you go to them and say, hey, there's something in your life that we think we need to talk with you about, and then call them back to the Lord's way. So I hope you see it. The goal of this church discipline is never punitive. It's never to win a battle. As Galatians 6, 1 puts it so wonderfully, brothers and sisters, if someone among you is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And then he goes, don't be proud about it because you're gonna need it too someday. And what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is just a beautiful example of this happening. Now, second thing I wanna to say to you about this. The importance of actually being a church that does this has to be acknowledged. What's so important about it? Uh, God's glory and our own growth in Christ. Uh, In my estimation, the most negative aspect of us ignoring sin in the life of our church is that at the end of the day, it's going to defame the name of God when we just ignore things that are wrong or if we get to the point that when it finally becomes really a big deal that we ungraciously deal with that person when their sin becomes known. I'll just tell you when the world sees that, either that we just don't even seem to care about how a person lives, or on the other side that we deal harshly with a person when it, when it emerges, they'll just look at the church and say, there's no difference. The so-called God they have makes no difference in their lives. God's name is defamed, I pray that will never happen at Lake Avenue Church. But almost as serious as that is how, as Paul will say, that just ignoring people moving away, walking away from God harms everybody else in the church. Did you notice that in 2 Corinthians 2, 5? They thought that this man and probably his friends and family were just grieving Paul. But Paul says this, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me, as he's grieved all of you, to some extent. That reminds me of a poem. I'm sure you all know one line of it from John Donne. No man is an island. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And I think that is true to some degree for uh, all of humanity, but I'm just telling you, when it comes to a family, this becomes much more directly true, doesn't it? In your own biological family, isn't it true that the way any one family member lives really affects the other? Well, let me tell you, in the family of God, where God is our Father and He's called us to worship together in one church family, the same thing is true. Even if you just have two people who seem to be involved in in unfaithfulness, promises or vows and deception or lying or in just fighting with one another, it doesn't just affect those two people, it affects us all. Did you know I started ministry as a youth pastor? I JUST, BUT I WAS GOING TO SAY THIS TO YOU, I THOUGHT ABOUT THIS TIME. IN THE FIRST CHURCH THAT I PASTORED AS A YOUTH PASTOR, I WENT IN AND I WAS WORKING WITH THE JUNIOR AND SENIOR HIRES. AND ONE DAY I WAS ASKED TO GO AND SPEAK TO THE SUNDAY SCHOOL CLASS WHERE ALL THEIR PARENTS WERE GOING. AND WHEN I WENT IN THERE, IT WAS REALLY CLEAR TO ME, YOU HAD ONE GROUP OVER ON THIS SIDE OF THE ROOM AND THE OTHER GROUP ON THE OTHER SIDE OF THE ROOM. THEY WOULDN'T EVEN TALK TO ONE ANOTHER. I SAID, I'VE GOT TO DIG INTO THIS. AND AS I GOT A FEW TRUSTED FRIENDS, I SAID, WHAT ON EARTH IS GOING ON IN THERE? I SAID, THIS IS THE WAY OUR CLASS HAS ALWAYS BEEN. IT GOES ALL THE WAY BACK TO JUNIOR HIGH WHEN TWO GIRLS WERE INTERESTED IN THE SAME GUY AND THEY STARTED FIGHTING WITH ONE ANOTHER AND THEY DEVELOPED FRIENDS AROUND THEM. AND HERE THEY ARE, NOW THEY HAVE CHILDREN THE SAME AGE AS THEY WERE AND THEY STILL WON'T TALK TO ONE ANOTHER. AND I FELT THE IMPACT OF THIS IN THE CHURCH. IT JUST SEEMED TO ME THAT THE POWER OF THE SPIRIT OF GOD AT WORK AMONG THEM just was undermined in so many ways and the church's impact in the neighborhood had ground to a halt and of course what happens is that the individual where that is happening or those who are doing it they're just left to walk that down that same path and are never turned back to Jesus all this is to say to you how important it is for us to find uh, circles where we know one another well enough have some Christian friends or a small group that we're a part of, and that we love one another enough that we keep entering into a person's life and turning them away from sin and back to Jesus. It's just central to what a church should be. Is there an amen to that? That's, I, we need one another in this way. So, thank you. <laughs> Claps are as good as amens. Um, third thing I want to say to you, it ain't gonna be easy. It's really tough to be involved in church discipline because when people actually come back together, God is so glorified and the people see it. And so other kingdoms in this world will fight against it. I'll tell you, when I read this account of how hard it was for them in Corinth to deal with this one man, <laughs> then I just know it's gonna be hard for us at any time and in any place to be able to do so. I mean, just face it, we don't even have the apostle around to help us here. We have God's Word and the Spirit of God, and that should help us. But what makes it so hard to actually be involved in correcting one another in this way? Well, I think several things. I think one is our own weakness. I mean, we know ourselves, so sometimes we think, oh, I see my friend walking away from the Lord, and we think, but if I go to my friend, they're just gonna say, you're worse than I am, and I'm gonna know that I'm right, that she's right that I am, I'll, I'll just tell you that, let's face it, not one of us is yet complete in Christ, and yet God has brought us together. And the fact that, that, that we're not perfect should not keep us from doing what the Bible tells us to do. Loving somebody enough that will go to them and say, I think that the direction you're headed is harming your life and your walk with God. I think that's one thing, don't you think? I also think our busyness, uh gets at it. We keep thinking, I hope somebody else does it. Maybe I should invite the pastor over and let him do it. Or we think, or maybe this person will just self correct. it doesn't usually happen that way. I, I think for me, in the role that I have as your senior pastor, the hardest thing, especially when it gets to be as big as it was in Corinth, is how we blend this fact about God that God is both a God uh, of holiness, but also of grace, keeping law and grace, uh, uh, the seriousness of sin balanced with the seriousness of love for people together is so hard. Because sometimes if you d- just ignore it, people say, that, that church doesn't even take holiness seriously. But then if you step in and do it, they'll say, those people are so harsh, is, where's grace in that church? SO I'LL TELL YOU, IF IT STARTS IN THE RIGHT WAY OUT OF OUR REAL LOVE FOR ONE ANOTHER AND IF WE HAVE A REGULAR PRACTICE OF DOING THIS WITH ONE ANOTHER, PERHAPS WHAT WILL BE SEEN IS SOMETHING DIFFERENT. ALL THAT I WANT TO SAY IS THIS, IT WAS HARD IN CORINTH, LET'S NOT BE SURPRISED IF IT'S HARD FOR US AS WELL. I THINK IF WE TAKE THE FIRST STEP IN THE NAME OF JESUS AND PRAY THAT WE'LL HAVE THE HEART OF JESUS AS WE DO IT IN ENTERING IN, The Spirit of God will do more than we could ever imagine. And I think we'll have some beautiful stories of restoration here at Lake, just like they had back in Corinth. I'm praying for that. Now, the final thing I wanna say to you about church discipline is this. There is a biblical process that should be followed. And if I can just sort of state the beginning and the end, it's faithful confrontation until forgiveness is offered and then received, and ultimately Satan is thwarted. Now here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do what I used to do in seminary and take a two-hour lecture to talk about church discipline and what it looks like, especially when it rises to the level that the one in Corinth did. What I'm going to do is to tell you how it must start and the way it should always end. So the beginning is what Jesus himself talked about and Paul talked about as well, and that is to begin with a personal, faithful, and add the word loving, confrontation. I mean, Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out the fault just between the two of you. Let me tell you, more often than not, that is enough. People turn right back and say, I want to live for Jesus. You may not be aware of it here because we don't make a big deal out of this. We don't get up and say, you know, last week such and such was doing this and the friend called them back and they, you know, we don't do that. But this sort of thing is happening almost every day here in the life of Lake Avenue Church. Now, if that one-to-one visit doesn't work, do you see what he said? Take two with you. Maybe take three. Maybe your you're small group and when, when you do, you'll find that what Jesus says can happen actually does happen. In that same verse, Matthew 18:15, he says, If they listen to you, you have won them back. It's a wonderful thing. Note this for sure. You shouldn't go to a person simply because you're irritated with them, because you disagree with them about something, or that they do things in a different way from the way that you do it, or that you have a different political view from them. You should only go to them in those areas where they are walking away from a clear, clear admonition in Scripture. And I hope you see, too, that the first step is not to go to your ministry council or to go and tell your senior pastor will you preach a sermon to this person because she is doing that? No, it begins back. Keep it as small as you possibly can. In that loving relationship where hopefully there is trust, you go to them and say, I love you, you know that, don't you? And I think that where you're headed, like my friend Jamie to me, I think this direction is not a good one. And you'll see God will do more than you could ever imagine because the object of this is never, never to punish. And it certainly is not to win the battle somehow, but it is the restoration of a brother or sister to walking more closely with Jesus. Now, the ending of the discipline process is as important as the beginning. And I, I think I wrote it for you. I think true followers of Jesus, true believers, are always to be ready, even anxious, to forgive that person who did wrong when they confessed to what was done and that it was wrong. NOW uh, BECAUSE I'VE BEEN AT THIS SO LONG, PEOPLE SAY, PASTOR GREG, YOU KNOW, PEOPLE CAN SAY I'M SORRY AWFULLY EASILY WITHOUT REALLY MEANING IT. WE'VE SEEN THAT EVEN at OUR HOMES WITH OUR CHILDREN, RIGHT? <laughs> HOW CAN YOU TELL IF IT IS GENUINE AND TRUE REPENTANCE? PAUL USES A WORD IN SECOND TIMOTHY 2, 5-11 THAT I THINK IS SO IMPORTANT. IT'S THE WORD SORROW. But WHEN A PERSON COMES AND SAYS, I RECOGNIZE the impact that what I've done has had on my own life, my walk with Jesus, maybe upon my spouse and my family or my parents or children. When you sense that kind of sorrow, you and I just got to be ready to save brother or sister, the forgiveness of Christ is sufficient for you. And then those three words just really kick in, forgive them, comfort them, and assure them of your love for them. And that gives the rest of the church the opportunity to actually move that person to full restoration to service. See, as I think about those kind of principles, I've thought as your senior pastor, I want to leave you with just a couple of very direct words to all of of us. I want to tell you that you do need Christian friends. Um, Or at least, a godly, grace-filled small group in church. You need that close enough so that you can be involved regularly in this iron sharpening iron way of becoming complete in Christ. And you know I'm not talking about those church-going friends who don't care how you live, or you just go out together like they did in Corinth and live the way that the world is living. I'm talking about Christian friends who want to grow in their walks with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about here? And who, whenever they are walking away, can count on you to come to them and say, I love you. You know that, don't you? So I've got to talk to you about what I see happening in your life. And I think the flip side of that is true, too. I'm, I'm wanting all of us to be open to the other person coming to us and speaking into our lives. And that means we've just got to be humble and honest about the fact that we're not yet complete in Christ. And that if a person loves us enough to say, I think there's something here that will help you or further your walk with him, don't be defensive. Let's learn to receive the words and counsel. And I'll tell you, if if I've spoken clearly, and if this way of life that should be in a church that I see permeating the New Testament becomes more and more a way of life in this church, YOU ARE GOING TO BE SEEING AND WE ARE GOING TO BE SEEING HERE WHAT THE APOSTLE PAUL SAID TO TIMOTHY IN FIRST TIMOTHY CHAPTER 4 VERSES 15 AND 16. WE'RE GOING TO SEE ONE ANOTHER, HE PUT IT, MAKING PROGRESS. MAYBE NOT ABSOLUTE PERFECTION IMMEDIATELY, BUT MAKING PROGRESS IN LIFE AND DOCTRINE. UNTIL WHAT HE SAYS IS GOING TO HAPPEN REALLY DOES HAPPEN. each one of us becomes complete in Christ. Don't you long for it? Will you pray that more and more this will be the kind of church family will be to each one of us here? The more that it happens, the more that I'll tell you, it will declare to this world the glory of God. Amen, amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, I just pray you'd take this word. I pray I've been faithful to it. I see this message just filling Scripture. I see your love for us, even in giving us one another in our church here at Lake. I see that the evil ones who often tries to thwart this, tries to keep us from growing growing to be more and more like Jesus by making our lives more distant by establishing the kind of things we've talked about here, strife within a church or distance among us. Father, do, do a work today in each of our hearts or lives. Father, for the Christian friendships that exist here among the people of our church, for the small groups that we have, for our adult classes, more and more, Father, I pray that they will be places of discipling relationships the places where we love one another enough to speak into one another's lives, places filled with your grace, ready to forgive, ready to comfort, ready to love again as each one of us grows to become complete in Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.